Please follow with me in the reading of the Holy Word of God, Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 33. Husband, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Father, I ask that you teach us, that, Father, you show us the wonder of this text, and that we understand the urgency of the day and the dangers that are here today. Father, only you can open our eyes to this. Father, I have read and read and studied, and you have given me precious time. So, Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters will hear you today and Christ and Christ alone. Jesus' name, amen. We are dealing with men and women, but in the context, it is part of the worthy walk in chapter 4. But it is a picture of the spirit-filled life in chapter 5. And it's interesting to me, I've told some of you, some of you have been here when I started this book, that... I had a fear that this book would do some scouring. I've talked to some people. Some of you remember Matt Long. He says, how is Ephesians a scouring book? Because it deals with unity. Absolute unity. And and the whole principle of this book is the oneness that we are in Jesus Christ. Uh, we are many members, he said to the Corinthians. But we are one body. And here, in this section between women submit to your husbands and men love your wives, he's using the dynamic that we call marriage to show us the relationship that Christ has with the church. Verse 32, this mystery is great. Okay, what did he is he speaking of? This reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. I'm speaking a reference to Christ and the church. To me that's fascinating. We look at the dynamic of marriage as this temporal thing. Christ looks at it as eternal. And what you and I see as marriage is a picture that God wanted to show humanity of His relationship. I don't want to get into all the details, but if you look at Scripture in its totality, you will see that God so loved His Son He wanted to give the most exquisite gift he could give his son to show his son his love. You know what it was? The church. The church. God elects. Jesus justifies. Holy Spirit sanctifies. Jesus so loved the Father that he says, I want to give my Father the most gracious, precious gift that I can give. A holy church. 
you know, me and my sickness. I said, neither one of them want us. They're trying to give us away. Okay, but that's not true. The church is an example of the father's love to the son and the son's love to the father. And I had now take it to what Paul is teaching here. What is marriage? It's a direct reflection of God's love for the son and the son's love for the father. That's what marriage is. Because 11 out of 10 people, if you ask them, the two are going to be one, they're going to talk about the wedding bed. That is nothing to do with it. Nothing whatsoever to do with it. And you've been exposed to a bunch of it here lately. When I was with you last, I talked about this manner of love. In verse 25, that this love between a man and a woman is based on the same love that Christ has for his church. It's a sacrificial love. We've been looking at both. Remember, 21, what does it say? Be subject to one another in fear of Christ. And then he moves immediately into, wives, submit to your husbands. So we've been looking at the priorities. But I want you to think about it in light of verse 32. You and I are being exposed to a mystery being revealed. I look at the condition of the church and and my study of history of the church. There has been times when the church is totally amazing. But what I've noticed is historically, when the church is absolutely unified, and reflects the relationship that Christ and the Father have is when the church is persecuted from the outside. Some of the strongest churches you'll ever see are in China. Some amazing churches in Afghanistan. But they're nothing like what you and I know as a church. They're meeting in caves and bunkers. They don't have TV broadcast, radio broadcast. Many of these people only have one Bible among all of them. And yet these churches are absolutely 100% united. It's amazing. It's truly, truly amazing. But when a church is prosperous, what happens? Look around. It becomes about me. And it's supposed to get worse. I've already shared with you out of Timothy. Men will be what? Lovers of self. It goes through that whole list of sewage. You get to the end of it. It says having a form of godliness but denying the power. I wonder when that's going to happen. Okay? This mystery being revealed is Christ and his church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Same thing when a man and a woman are married. The church, the main focus of this book is our unity. I mean, it's the major focus. Most people say, well, women are supposed to submit. Kids are supposed to honor. Fathers are supposed to love. We're supposed to put on the whole armor of God. Employees are going to be this way. Employers are going to be this all. We got, yep, got it all figured out. No, you don't. If you don't understand the first three chapters, you're just a miserable person. We've looked at sacrificial love as a point of this manner of love and that sacrifice is that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her husbands are to give themselves up for their wives okay 
You see why the Bible doesn't like mixed marriages? How does an unbeliever give themselves up for a believer? You know what? It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. Why? Because it's the body and the bride. He is taking the gift that the Father has given him, presenting it holy and unblameless and spotless, so he can present it back as a gift to the Father of, look how holy this thing is. All right? But in verse 26, we see that part of our responsibility is to purify her, men. We are to purify our wives. You may want to hold on for this one. <laughs> just, just giving you a heads up. Verse 26, so that he, now contextually, this is Jesus, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Okay, contextually. He's saying that is what Jesus has done to the church. That <laughs> right there is the summary of what I do and why I do it. I am trying to present the church spotless, unblemished, no wrinkles to the glory of God. You know what they call that? Job security. <laughs> Let's cruise around. I, I, one of my best friends is the Apostle Paul, but I do have a fondness for John because uh, you don't have to ask yourself, well, what was he trying to say? <laughs> you just read and go, oh, bummer. <laughs> okay. The Lord's Prayer, John 17, beginning in verse 14, I have given them, okay, this is us. He's praying specifically for those who will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through the words of the apostle. So, he says this, I have given them your word. Who's them? You and me. We have the word. And the world has hated them. Uh Uh-oh. Because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. Huh. Has the world ever hated you? Just a question. I can say absolutely. Multiple times. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. I like that idea. You like that idea? Remember? Jesus approached Peter and says, Hey! Satan's asked to sift you. He wants to shake you, throw everything up in the air, and see what falls off. Satan himself wants to test you, Peter. And Jesus says, but I prayed for you. You're like, wait a minute. You're the Lord of creation. Why don't you tell him no? Why not John? But he makes an insane statement because when you are restored, you know what that means? Yeah, the test is going to be an ugly one. You will be able to strengthen the brethren. All right. Here he says, keep them from the evil one. I don't know about you. I think that's a good idea. I would prefer to stay away from the evil one. But you got to remember something. The world lays in the lap of who? And he is the father of lies. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I know pastors who lie. I know political officials who lie. I know non-political officials who lie. I know salesmen who lie. 
I, I can go down the list. There's nothing in this world that you and I know that they're not lying to you or not giving you all the information, which is basically lying. Okay? That's going to take a lot of work to protect me from the evil. Because it is everywhere. I don't care whether you're in Myanmar. I don't care if you're in Azerbaijan. I don't care if you're in the Republic of Georgia. I don't care if you're in Israel. I don't care if you're in Afghanistan. I don't care if you're in Castle Rock, Colorado. The world lays in his lap. And it does his bidding. But I want to show you this. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one, they are not of the world. That would be true believers. You know how you can tell a true believer? It's really not that hard. They don't look like the world. They don't act like the world. They don't chase the things of the world. They're not obsessed with the things of the world. It's that simple. All right? That's completely different. So they stand out. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in chapter 1. You are in Him. Jesus is not in the world. Guess what? If you're in Him, you're not in the world. Verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Okay? You understand what that means? Set them apart. Why? They need to be protected from evil. I do that by setting them apart. Sanctify them with truth. Set them apart. Why? Let them have a built-in lie detector that goes nuts if you turn on the news. (laughs) I don't get it. Okay? But sanctify them with truth. What is it? You guys ever figure out what it is I do and why I do it? I'm trying to protect every one of you from evil. And I'm doing it by setting you apart with what? Word of God. You know what? My opinion is of the same value your opinion is of you. Worthless. But this right here will protect us. It will set us apart. It will set us apart. Now, remember where I'm going with this. I'm coming out of what is the responsibility of the husband? What? To sanctify your wife as Christ sanctifies the church, his bride. How cool is that? How cool is that? Had a guy doing some work at our house while we were gone. Nice guy. He's one of what I call an honorable Marine. For some reason, the Marine Corps has lost some of that. And uh, he's engaged. He's engaged. And he says, I think, because we've been having conversations. He's funny. We've been having, his name's Israel. And so I said, hey, how's the wrestling with God going? <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> so, but he's engaged to a lady who I have done her husband's funeral a few years ago. And uh, he says, you know, I've been thinking about some of the things you've been saying and, and, and stuff like that. He says, I'm not a believer. Can I call my wife? Kelly's her name. Can I call her my bride? I was thinking, better. <laughs> She'll call you dead. <laughs> he said, well, he says, I understand the dynamic that you're trying to share. I said, Israel, I love you, brother. But let me tell you something. There ain't no way on this green earth that you can do this without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So hmm. he walks off. I love discouraging people. All right, then here's what he says. 
As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart that they themselves might be what? Sanctified in truth. Christ loved the church so much, he washed her. He cleansed her. He purified her. Husbands, that is the priority of your love and the manner of it. It is sacrificial, meaning it is about her, not you. And it is purifying. And I'll explain this to you. Listen, I don't care who you are. All right? Lost or saved. You love something or somebody. You want to keep it pure. I've got friends that are not saved. They don't want to be saved. They're crazier than a bunch of loons. But they pay good when I change the oil and work on their motorcycles. Okay? You know what their normal question is they ask me? You got any single women in your church? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You gotta be kidding. You know that I'm supposed to protect him, so if you try to do anything, I have to shoot you, right? And they go, what? So. But you talk to them, and these women that they're whatever associating with, they don't want to take those home to mom. They want to find someone who is pure and take that home to mom. You go see people get a new car. I got a friend of mine bought a was it 67? What is that Dodge Dart? 67, 68? And he buys it. He hates to drive it. Now, it gets feet per gallon. I'll give you that. But it's a nice car. I would drive it. He said, well, yeah, but it's a collector. And I was like, we'll drive it. It ain't no good sitting in there with dust. Drive it. And they said, well, you, you're not a car collector, are you? And I was like, no. No, no. If I'm, I'm not going to buy something and wrap it up in plastic and hide it and sell it in 200 years. The Lord Jesus Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself for it, And in doing so, he washed her, he cleansed her, he purified her. If you love someone, you want her to be pure, virtuous, righteous, And I think that's a basic truth. I mean, when I can get some crazy loon bikers who want to go party their brains out to find a virtuous woman to marry, I don't think it's just an abnormal truth. When you love somebody, their purity should be your goal. Nobody loves loves someone and then decides to defile it. Right? I love you so much. Oh, I just want to defile you. That relationship's going to go a long ways. We don't want to defile what we love. Christ loves his church. And we know that he wants to purify her, he wants to present her back to his father. Holy, pure, without blemish, spotless, not even a wrinkle. When you are saved, the Lord cleanses every single sin you ever committed, will commit, were committing, or will in the future commit instantaneously, all of them, boom! He cleansed sins that you ain't even thought of yet. You're forgiven of all sin. For His namesake. For His namesake. I watch people, Christians, struggle. You know, I sinned again. Welcome to my world. Right? I mean... Anybody go through a whole day without sinning? Let me ask you this. Anybody go through a minute 
Where you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've never been able to pull that one off. But yet I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. The moment, the very instant that Christ invades your soul, you are absolutely cleansed. You are not going to be any holier than what you are right now. Though your sins be as scarlet, they are made as wool. They are as far as the east from the west. My sin is as far as the east is from the west. Where is that? I don't know. If you keep going east, you'll run into it eventually. Or you'll get dizzy. Jesus says, I remember it no more. When we are saved, he made us absolutely pure so that we may enter into the presence of the father of creation at any instance without any reservation. We are covered in his Jesus Christ, absolute righteousness. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin bore our sin so that we would bear his righteousness. That is why it's so important if you're going to study Ephesians, you've got to know those first three chapters. That is who you are in Christ. He was made sin for you that we might become the righteousness of God. I know got people running around wanting miracles. Lordy, Lordy. I am the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hey, can you do a miracle for me? Look. I don't need any more. I don't need any more. The moment of salvation, we are absolutely purified. Past, present, future. Every sin, as far as the east is from the west. You may be in sin right now. Forgiven. And it's forever. Okay? You are pure. Let me show you. I'll use John. John 13, verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he had girded. So he came to Simon Peter. You know, John's cool. <laughs> When Peter is acting spiritually, he calls him Peter. When he's acting fleshly, he calls him Simon Peter. His original name was Simon, and I shall call you Peter. But if you go read through the Gospel of John, and there's times when Peter's being, you know, Peter, and John calls him Simon Peter. <laughs> and then there's other times he calls him Peter because he's got it together. Anyway, I just thought you that and $5 you can get a Starbucks. He came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? The foot-washing slave in the house was the lowest-level slave. I mean, that's you're cleaning the dirt off of people's feet. Okay, don't get much lower. Okay? Jesus answered and said, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet, because I'm smart. No, that's not what it says. Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. You get that? If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. You know what that means, right? It means you're not saved. If you have not been cleansed by Jesus Christ, it don't matter. I don't care how much you wash your feet. (laughs) 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Because he was speaking, Judas is still in the room. Okay, now I want to share with you something. In Romans 6, says, You have been baptized into his death, and you have been raised to walk in the newness of life. The baptism is the immersion that you now are identified with Christ. That is another vernacular for in him. And I now have a resurrection. And that resurrection is the new nature, the new spirit in the old container. And that is salvation. Why? I have been washed in Jesus Christ. Okay? But he does say you've got to have your feet washed. The word luo is the word washed. And that's what it means. Take a bath. Okay, you get every bit of it. Okay, there's nipkoo, which is your feet, getting your feet clean. Okay, you don't need a, a bath. He's, he makes that statement. Once you've been washed, you don't need it, but you need to. Okay, now, then, the, contextually, what he's talking about here is these guys all wore sandals. All right? And there was no such thing as pavement. So you walked around on dirty roads. And sometimes it would rain. So now you're walking around on muddy roads. And sometimes, you know, so you kind of get the idea, right? What he's telling you and me is, you are in, remember the prayer in 17? I don't ask you to take them out of the world. I just ask you to what? Keep them from evil. How do you do that? Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. So, how do I keep my feet clean? I don't have to be washed again. If you're saved, you are spotless. But you are cruising around in a world that is in the lap of Satan. How do I keep my feet clean? Boots. Big rubber gummy boots. (laughs) No, you do it how? In the Word. Your law I love we looked at this morning. And I meditate all the days. Why? I'm trying to keep the grit out of between my toes. Because it's everywhere. It is everywhere. And it's growing. Here's the idea. Now that I've made it mud. Once you are in Christ, you are totally cleansed. That is your position as a Christian. You are as holy right now, the moment you became saved, as you're ever going to be. All right? Every true Christian, that is their position. Before God, every Christian is seen as holy as the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian. Okay? True. True Christian. That's what the first three chapters of Ephesians is. Every day, though... As we walk through this world, we are walking on some gnarly roads. Gnarly. That's a biblical term for dirt and mud and gravel and stuff. Okay? And our feet can get dirty. And Jesus washes our feet with his word. I've had people, we had this discussion Saturday and yes, this morning. People pray. You talk to people, they're getting ready to make a decision. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Okay. And they come back. You still praying? Oh, yeah, I'm praying. And then all of a sudden they come up with this conclusion. And say, I'm going to do this. Why? Well, it's just, it's just obvious. Huh. Where'd you get the answer? Well, it's just something I really wanted to do. He put the desire in my heart, and that's what I'm going to do. You didn't get it from the book? I talk to him. He talks to me through this book. Why? So I don't become presumptuous. So I don't make some stupid, well, I thought that was a really good idea. 
we are to pray. We are to pray without ceasing. That's not, I'm not against prayer. But if you're going to pray and you really mean it, you better be in that book so you'll know what his answer is. Because he's going to give you the answer in this book. Oh, but you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because I've tried it the other way. And cool. Talk about getting dirt on your feet. But if I'm in his word, and then that will drive me to prayer, and the prayer will drive me to his word, and it's a wonderful communion. We have total positional cleansing. But there is the daily cleansing, and it keeps on coming. It keeps on coming. It never stops. Have you guys ever been tempted by something and had victory over it? You said, six months later, you get hit again. Well, wait a minute. I already passed this. You tested me on this six months ago, and I got through it. Why are you doing it again? Because you're walking down the wrong path. And you took yourself back to it. Instead of saying, I need to cleanse my feet. You know, that's why I love the church. I cherish the church. I wish I could express to you how much love I have for the church. Because you guys are my protection. You are my accountability group. Gosh, that sounds so hokey. Holy Spirit's on me too. Okay. But we walk together. Uh, I am very intimately involved with every one of you to some degree. I know your hurts. I know your sufferings. I know trials, your testings and all the rest of it. Some of you guys don't know this stuff. I have, what do they call it? Professional privileges. No, that's to go into jails. Never mind. I'll use a different illustration, but I know who you people are. Okay, which helps me to pray for you specifically and helps guide me to instruct you through the word so that I can help sanctify you and present you unblemished, without wrinkle, to a holy God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Okay, that's the cleansing thing. The word confess there, it's, it just means you agree. Okay? You're dealing with something, and all of a sudden you get the ding, the light comes on, that this is a sin. And so you're in agreement with what God said. God said, this is a sin. You guys ever follow with that? Say, well, that's not really a sin. Okay, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little white sin, which I've, what? But anyway, but you come to the conclusion that no, Lord, this is a sin. And if you confess it is a sin, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive you of it. If you take Corinthians and stick it on top of it, it says, no temptation sees you except that is common to man. And he provides a way out that you may stand under it. Problem is, we look at the sin instead of the exit. But that's where the sanctifying work of the Word comes from. Now remember what we're talking about here. Husbands, this is what you do for your wives. You want to lift her up, holy, stainless, unblemished, before a holy God. And you do it how? With the word, with the word. Christians, we need to realize this. Every day of our lives, every sin that we commit is instantly cleansed. So at no time is there ever a sin between you and God. Well, but what if... No. Read your Bible. There's never a sin. Now, I want to tell you something. To say that you're going to walk out of here and never sin? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
But I will tell you this. It's like, have you ever heard this phrase, free will? Okay, you know biblically there's no such thing? Okay, now you make decisions, right, all day. I mean, I got one brown sock on, one black sock on. That was a great decision. Don't get dressed in the dark. (laughs) Okay, but we make decisions all, all the time. But if you come to a place that it's a sin and you do it, you're forgiven of it, but you don't get to choose the consequences. He chooses the consequences. Okay? So, I love your law, and I meditate on it all the day. Why? So I can avoid some of these potholes. I fellowship with the saints. Remember when we were dealing with, uh, what was that thing? Pandemic. Do not forsake the assembly together. Why? We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. We bear one another's burdens. We grieve with those who are grieving. We laugh with those who are in joy. We've been bathed once. And we are kept pure. Paul says, that's what marriage is like. When you marry somebody, (laughs) get a hold of this. When you marry somebody, it is a purifying thing. Okay? You are taking that weaker vessel out of the world. Okay? My daughter, I kept with her. She run off once and, I want to be single. I want to get an apartment. I think it lasted about a month and a half and then she came back. But I kept her at home because I could protect her. And she left when Ivan the Terrible came and asked for my daughter's hand in marriage. He says, can I marry your daughter? I said, yeah, are you saved? And he said, yeah. And I said, explain it to me. He did a good job. I know pastors ain't that good. Okay. And he says, anything you want to ask of me? I said, yeah, you got to marry her before sunset or I'm putting her back on eBay. <laughs> so you think I'm kidding you? Ask him. Because <laughs> he didn't know I had a sense of humor. And to this day, it's like, what? <laughs> when you marry that gift from God, you take them out of the world. You take them apart from their past And whatever might have happened, you set them apart away from it. Set apart to you that you may purify. That's amazing. Not only is the the act of marriage, do you purify them in that of of vows, but every day you live, men... If you really love that woman, you seek to keep their feet clean. You seek to wash the dust of this world off of them. If you love a woman, you will do everything in your power to maintain her holiness, her virtue, her righteousness, and her purity. Every day you live. Even to the point when your Gentile husband dies, you leave with your mother-in-law who is Jewish, who is not of your religion, and you go with her to this foreign land that she's originally from. And in that commitment... A guy named Boaz shows up. Faithful Jew. And you marry him and become part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's Ruth. You never put her in a compromising situation where she... Let me make this as personal as I can. In case I haven't hurt anybody's feelings, you're up. You should never put your wife in a place that she's angry. Anger is a sin. You should never do anything to defile her. You should never take her places that would expose her to something that would harm her. Never let her indulge in anything to defile. Let no impurity into her life. That is the manner of love. Love always seeks purity. Single ladies, it is written here. I'm not just saying this to make people mad. Single ladies, if a guy wants to take your virtue, it is not love. Don't ever believe that is the definition of love. The two becoming one has absolutely nothing to do with sex. Do you see that yet? Jesus isn't happy with the church because he's having sex with it. He's happy with the church because it's a blessing and he's making it holy and pure so he can present it back to his father. And they even quote Genesis that you will leave your father and mother and what? Join. All right? You will be flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. That is the mystery of the church and Jesus Christ. That is the mystery of fallen man and fallen women and what is provided for each of us. Men, you are to love your bride. You seek to lift her up and to draw her ever closer to God. Love never says, I love you now. Let me destroy your virtue. That's not love. Love lifts up, love purifies, love exalts, love honors, love makes holy. That is the manner of love. And a lost person can't do that. That's supernatural love there, people. I don't care what you say. That is not in our nature. I mean, our love is icky sentimentalism. You know, the flashing of your eyes. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. He loves me. Why? He sent me flowers. But did they purify you? Did the flowers make you more holy? Seek to pour virtue into that woman's life. Seek to make her in every possible way. Are you ready? Men, if you love them, you will seek in every possible way to make that woman Christ-like. As I stated earlier, job security. (laughs) Men, you are the purifier. Verse 26. Washing of the word. Listen, I know guys who will say, well, okay, honey, he stepped on every one of my toes multiple times. So beginning now, boom. We will have a Bible study when I get home from work, when I get ready to leave for work. That ain't it. I had a precious friend of mine uh, who's in glory. All these people leaving me here. Anyway, and he had a phrase he used. Flesh it out. Let that woman see Christ's life in you. There ain't no greater Bible study. I mean, you can sit down and exegete, and you know, the Greek verb here says, you know, and I can participle this out this way and get a conjunction hanging on the side, and I think it's a dangling participle, but it still looks cool. I remember a guy telling me, he said, well, you gotta, if you're gonna do a sermon, you gotta do, what is that, a sentence? What, diagrams. Oh gosh, who thought that sick up? I sat through the class with this guy, he was some professor, and I got done and said, I'm not even saved. Because <laughs> you had to do, he gave us a verse and you had to do it. And I, was, I got the noun right. That isn't what it means. 
I purify them with the word because they see it in my life. That is what is being called of us. Now then, take it to the bigger picture. Christ wants to cleanse the church. I would say on this glorious Sunday morning that we have a few dirty feet. And it is through the word of God that they are cleansed. He does it by washing of the word. The word of God keeps us pure. John 15, verse 3. This is the vine and the branches. Allegory. Verse 3 says, you're already clean. Why am I already clean? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. It's already there. How did you get saved? The preaching of the gospel. One way or the other. It is God's word that redeems us. It is God's word that keeps us clean. Men, same thing at home. Men, this applies to your wives. Pour every purifying thing on her. Whatever makes her holy. See the difference between marriage of what we see and what God says. But do you, if the marriage is Christ's relationship with the church, do you now understand why marriage is under such a great assault? When I was before Christ and younger, you were, if you didn't want to get married, just live together. Why don't they still do that? Because I can attack God's principle of marriage. The priority is the way it ought to be. When a wife commits adultery, are you ready? The husband didn't cleanse and purify her. What? No, men, you didn't do your job. Question I always have is, what about afterwards? Now what are you going to do? Because I've had to deal with this many times. Way too many times. See, if we're not protecting and purifying them, then we are failing to fulfill the divine obligation of the gift that was given to us by that person. Okay, now listen. I don't want, <laughs> the ladies are like, if I go out and have an affair, it's his fault. <laughs> You're responsible for what he does. Please. Okay. That's a sin. Okay. You don't get to choose the consequences of that sin. All right. Men, you are responsible for what you do to or don't do. Husbands, seek the purity of your wife and you will guard her sacrificially in everything you do. Approach our wives as to be cleansed and we are the purifier. As Christ purifies his church, he wants to present her glorious. That's what it says. That he might present to himself, verse 27, himself a church and all of her what? Glory. There's two terms that are translated glory. One is doxon, you know, a doxology. It's the root of that. There's another one that's called indoxon. Okay, in means an intense splendor. He wants to present the church in an intense splendor. And he says, no flaw. Absolutely holy, without blemish. 
men, we are to present our wives with an intense splendor, without flaw, without blemish. It's the way we are with our wives. Because that's the way Christ is with His church. Don't do anything to lead your wife to a place of stain or blemish. Fulfill your love that she is purified and sanctified. Your love to your wife should be a sanctifying love. Look at your wife. We are to lift them up to God. Holy, unblemished. Men, that is your responsibility. If you're single, <laughs> dude, I'm going to be a monk. <laughs> if you're married, that is your responsibility. Men, that is your responsibility. So, the manner of love, one, sacrificial. Men are to sacrificially give themselves for their wives. Two, men, you are to sanctify her, cleansing by the washing of the word, or as my dear friend said, flesh it out. Let her see it, that we may present her in glory, with no spot, wrinkle, or such thing, holy and blameless. It's what Christ is doing with his church. That's what we should do with our wives. Fun stuff, huh? I love it when God says, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I look at this and I know... uh, the struggles that I've had with it. And yet, Father, I also know the first three chapters and that, Lord, you've given me everything I need for life and godliness. All I must do is surrender. So thank you, my King. Thank you that you guide us. Father, there are times we get off the road, but, Father, your love, your mercy and grace brings us back. Thank you, my Jesus. We thank you for bringing Denise into our fellowship and that she has joined with us. And I pray that this body of believers will reach out and strengthen one another that we may be part of the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ to his bride, his body, the eternal church of Jesus Christ. Father, bring people to us who are not going to walk half-hearted like the Laodiceans. Bring people to us who are solely committed to die to self, to die to desires, to die to the wills of our own, and to die to our own personal progress that we may walk worthy of this calling. Lord, only you can do that. So I beseech your throne on behalf of the saints, beginning with me. Let us walk worthy. Christ, precious name. Amen.